The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hey, everybody. Tonight we're debating Israel versus Palestine. Who is in the right? And we are starting right now with David's opening statement for the pro-Israel side. Thanks so much for being with us. David, the floor is all yours. Hi, everyone. Thank you to Modern Day Debates and James for moderating. Thank you to Adam for partnering with me and to Stephen and Kate for being here. The title of the debate is Israel-Palestine. Who is in the right? It's an interesting question. The more one looks at any conflict, the events surrounding them and the preceding events, one can inevitably find an event that happened before that, it becomes an infinite reverse of sorts. But I do wonder, before I get underway, if there's some common points we might all agree on. Israel and the citizens of Israel have the right to live in safety and not in fear of terror attacks. Palestinians have the right to freedom, statehood, and self-determination. Neither points one or two should come at the expense of the other. Not all Palestinians are Hamas. But it is Hamas that has been in charge of internal affairs of Gaza, from policing, public works, education, construction, and everything in between. Arab terror attacks on Jews go back as far as 1920, long before any presence in Gaza or the West Bank. While we are indeed here because of Israeli response to the events of October 7th, when Hamas broke into southern Israel, murdered, raped, tortured, kidnapped, mutilated, and otherwise vandalized Israeli kibbutzim, Moshavim, and Nature and surrounding army bases. In that attack, 695 civilians, including 36 children, the youngest being 10 months, were killed with glee and joy. A further 71 foreign workers were killed, and the number of security and military personnel that were killed is 373. These numbers not solely come from, from indiscriminate rockets that must fire in the initial attack. It is from some, some 3,000 terrorists that broke into houses, that shot people in their beds, that burned houses with people in them abducted 240-plus people, including Holocaust survivors, as well as a nine-month-old baby, who is still being held hostage. It is a must we are fighting. It is a must that chose to resume hostilities. During these wars, it has been, become commonplace to cry out that innocent Palestinians are dying and suffering. I'll speak for myself when I say that I find no joy, no solace, no comfort in the deaths or injuries. However, many of those rallying for them either failed to mention or ignorant of the role of Palestinian Islamic Jihad Hamas and other terrorist organizations in these conflicts, and their utter disregard for the lives of their civilian populations. We're also told that history didn't begin on October 7th. That's true, so let's take a look at that history. Pick a year. In a year between 2008 to 2023, exclude the periods of military operations, and you'll find hundreds, if not thousands, of rockets being fired into Israel by Palestinian Islamic Jihad and Hamas, and we shall we'll touch more on these in the open discussion. In 2005, Israel disengaged from Gaza. There was no blockade. It was only a, after terrorist group Hamas took power there that a blockade was imposed, and that was in autumn of 2007. But let's go further back. Why did Israel take control of the West Bank and Gaza and the Golan Heights? Between 1949 and 1967, Egypt controlled Gaza, Golan controlled the West Bank, and the Golan Heights belonged to Syria. In those 18 years, Palestinian guerrilla groups, supported by Egypt, Jordan, and Syria, attacked and terrorized Israelis. It was Egypt that expelled the UN forces in Sinai, 
brought up troops to the border, and Egypt that closed the Straits of Tehran to Israel. It was Egypt that, that was the initial aggressor in 67, and Egypt that joined Jordan in the Six-Day War. It's no example of the surrounding Arab nations starting and engaging in a war and losing. Thus begun the Israeli control of the West Bank in Gaza. After 18 years of Palestinian terror attacks, Israel was in a position to ensure the safety of its civilians. Over the years, Israel has shown its more than willing to swap land for peace. Some peace treaties with Egypt and then Jordan, unilaterally leaving Gaza and South Lebanon. The Palestinian leaders seem to prefer the billions of dollars made. Let's go further back. The Arab leaders rejected the UN partition plan and declared war in Israel in 48 on the pretext of aiding Palestinians in the civil war that was raging at the time. Between 47 and 49, it was estimated that 750,000 Palestinians were displaced. The reasons are varied and include, but are not limited to, their own leaders calling Palestinians to leave, some preemptively fleeing from potential conflict zones with the hopes of returning back. To claim that this was ethnic cleansing is false and misleading, and to not know the myriad of reasons for the mass displacement. I'll be remiss if I did not point out, prior to the British Mandate of Palestine, that Palestine was a province of the Ottoman Empire, before then the Mamluk Sultanate, before then Crusaders, it goes back to the Roman Empire, Greek Empire, Babylonians, all up to the Kingdom of Judea and Samaria. The Philistines were assimilated into the Babylonian Empire under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar, with a geographical name around the southwest coast, separate and, dis and distinct from the Kingdom of Judea, was still used to refer to the area. After a failed revolt by the Jews against the Roman Empire, the Jews were expelled and the province of Judea was named to Syria Palestine. Now, some 2,000 years later, after that expulsion, the Jews have come back to their homeland. Time and time again, we have shown that we are willing to split the land, but it's not a free trade. Our pride, simply put, is our safety and security. Thank you, and I pass over to Adar. Thank you so much, David. Uh, thank you, James, for hosting. It's really a pleasure to be here. Um, before I get started, I, I just want to come out and say that despite being Israeli and serving in the IDF, I don't really consider myself to be pro-Israel as much as I consider myself to be pro-peace. Uh, to me, being pro-peace means um, I genuinely support the well-being of both Israelis and Palestinians, but it also means I'm very critical of both sides, both of their leadership and the activism behind these causes. So I feel like I could have really been on either side of today's debate, but because I'm on the pro-Israel side, I'm going to make the case that the Palestinian movement for liberation has been by and large misguided and counterproductive to the goal of Palestinian liberation. Uh, I think in, in order to better understand why Palestinian activism has been by and large counterproductive, I think we need to understand the tension between the two narratives, right? So if you ask Israelis or, or Zionists what Zionism is, they'll tell you it's the story of an indigenous population who, after thousands of years in exile, returned to their ancestral homeland and achieve statehood against all odds. If you ask Palestinians how they feel about that same movement, they view Zionism as a settler colonial movement who has consistently killed, humiliated, and displaced them for the past 100 plus years. Uh, these narratives are seemingly irreconcilable, but I personally think we could reconcile them, and I'd be happy to get into that later on in this discussion. Uh, but I think it's important to understand the main energy behind Zionism. It's not Jewish supremacy or religious ideology, as many would suggest. More than anything, it's that of self-preservation and really the ability to control one's own destiny. This is what fuels Zionism more than anything else. And by understanding this, this will give us insight into why Palestinian resistance has been counterproductive. If we really assess for a moment Palestinian activism for the past hundred years, it's been 
primarily focused not on achieving statehood, not on equal rights, as many Western activists would suggest, but on the, the destruction of the state of Israel and the creation of a Palestinian state in its place. And not a secular democratic state for all people on the land, but a state by Palestinians for Palestinians. And when we look at Palestinians' way of achieving this goal, their primary means of resistance has been violent, and their primary target has been civilians. Uh, recent polling after October 7th shows us that 74% of Palestinians support the attacks of, of October 7th. 75% support a Palestinian state from the river to the sea. Only 7% support a binational state between Israelis and Palestinians. Uh, and this really just shows how out of touch Western activists, Western activists are. They suggest a solution that the overwhelming majority of both Palestinians and Israelis do not support. What has really been the result of this violent resistance? A stronger Israel, a more radicalized Israeli population, and really more misery for Palestinians. And, and I'll be the first to say it's tragic to see uh, the misery Palestinians have been put through. What good has actually come out of 100 years of violent resistance? Um, and, you know, many make the case that the state of Israel is not needed to keep Jews safe, but I've actually yet to hear a compelling case. Uh, that Jews will remain safe on the land uh, without the state of Israel protecting them. And if we can't make a convincing case that Jews can remain safe on the land, then any solution that's that Jews don't consent to will only lead to more bloodshed. We see what happens when we try to force the solution on Jewish Israelis. So the framework I'd like to suggest for peace is a solution that really can provide justice for Palestinians while ensuring security for Jews. And it's important to remember that justice for Palestinians can be achieved without creating injustice for Jews. Uh, justice and vengeance are not the same thing, and this is important to, rem to remember. Um, so this really starts with accepting the fact that Israel does exist and will remain to exist. Now, I understand that this is challenging for Palestinians to accept. Accepting the existence of a state that has done nothing to cause them Israel. I get it. Uh, so... My suggestion would be instead of dismantling or destroying Israel, let's work to transform Israel. And here's the thing. Israelis are big on transforming their government. Prior to October 7th, we had record level, record levels of protests. We had seven months of protests every single week. Israelis will rally to change their government, but they will not rally to destroy themselves. So I suggest we build a coalition of Jews, Palestinians, and their allies to transform Israel. But again, this starts with accepting that Israel does exist and will remain to exist. Uh, I view this as the clearest path to both security, justice, and peace for all people. I'll leave it with that. Thank you. Thank you very much for that opening from both of you gentlemen. want to say, folks, thanks so much for being with us. Welcome to Modern Day Debate. We are a neutral platform providing a level playing field for every debater to make their case. My name is James and I'm your host. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button as we have many more debates coming up. You don't want to miss them. So hit subscribe right now. With that, we're going to kick it over to Kay and Cider Import, who are the pro-Palestine side today. Kay, thanks so much. The floor is all yours. Thank you, James. Um, I'm Kay Fellows, and I want it to be known that I'm not a foreign policy expert. I am not a political commentator. I'm simply a human rights activist, and that's where uh, that's the perspective that I argue everything from. Um, just basic human rights, protecting human rights, preserving human life. Um, and that's kind of put me on the side of the pro-Palestine side because they are the ones currently facing extermination in the thousands at the moment. 
Um, I think that the meat and potatoes of debate is whenever we have discussions between us. So I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time on an opening statement. Um, I do think that um, whenever we have come to a point where we're having debates on the ethics of things like mass starvation, mass murder, ethnic cleansing, and genocide, there is something that is fundamentally broken um, as a human species whenever we're having to debate whether or not there is an ethical or moral standpoint to stand on um, whenever thousands upon thousands of innocent people are actively being killed and nothing is being done to stop it. Um, I know that we will get into the more complex discussions um, surrounding this issue, but at the end of the day, it really does just come down to there is absolutely no excuse. There is no end that justifies the means of mass starvation of men, women, and children, mass murder of innocent men, will, women, and children, um, infringing on the rights of certain people based on where they were born into is never something that is justifiable. And why I agree with my opponent in that there are complexities in how we move forward and achieve true peace amongst these two people. Um, I think that the morals of the argument really does come down to it needs to start, the conversation needs to start with condemning what is happening right now to innocent lives in the Gaza Strip, in the West Bank. Um, I'll wrap up my opening statement and turn it over to my partner, Stephen. Um, thank you. So there are so much that, you know, can and has to be said about this Um Conflict starting, of course, in 1948, not the 7th of October, as some people online seem to kind of think that it did. It did, however, enter the everyday conversation um, level of like public awareness. Then um, that's when like a lot of people became aware that like this was like an ongoing issue and stuff like that. Um, and the number of countries have expressed their concern and given funds to um, Palestine, a la the Ukraine um, treatment. Uh, this. Conflict, however, is is just different. Um, and that is because in terms of like apartheid and ethnic cleansing and force or forced displacement and stuff like that. Now, luckily, there isn't too many countries that actually know what that's like. My country, however, was not so lucky. Um, in fact, Ireland, to my knowledge, is the only Western country to have a higher population in 1845 than it does now. The pre-famine population of Ireland was eight and a half million people. It's now just barely over six. Um, and we have had a free and independent country from just over 100 years. Um, the famine, of course, ended 170 years ago. Now, look, to tie this all together, under British rule, it was not uncommon to have landlords, British um, landlords, come over to um, Irish people and literally just ask them just to leave their homes. They just don't live there anymore. And where do we see that happening now? Irish culture has been all but eradicated. We've got back some of our lost traditions, etc., but there's there's no denying that most of it is uh, and, and is still gone. There's no finer way of me proving this than by simply stating that English is my first language. Um, there is so much Irish history that is like lost. In fact, if you do an ancestry, you won't get back more than a hundred years. Um, now, look, I don't need to tell anyone that the British enacted apartheid on um, on Ireland. So to tie it all back and dispel the thoughts that I've turned up to the wrong debate tonight, uh, 
the support that Ireland has given to Palestine is not surprising in any way. Um, it, it, it's it's expected almost. It's exactly what we were going through when we were bombed, when we were killed in the streets, when we were kicked out of our homes, when we uh, and yes, rose up in a militia to fight back against that those um, oppressors. But before we fought and won our end our independence, were we a terrorist group? As some people would have you believe that the Palestinians who are fighting against the uh, IDF are. To take this into consideration, uh, which conflict I am kind of talking about, Ireland, um, a population that that has occupied the region for decades is now being bombed out of their homes. Their civil their Civilian population has taken hostages. Oh, and their occupier? Well, they're doing a limpid, pathetic attempt at being seen as the good guys and putting out uh, messages to the world in a language that neither country naturally speak. It's almost as though they're just really trying to not be seen as the bad guys. My personal opinion is that the ones who have caused the deaths of over 10,000 children since that magical date of the 7th of October aren't the ones to be viewed exactly favorably. Now, speaking of the death tolls and stuff like that, I will definitely kind of more so leave that to my pro-life partner. And that is the end of my opening. Thank you very much for that opening as well. We're going to kick it into the open dialogue. I want to let you know, folks, if you happen to have a question, the Q&A is at the end. You can submit a question two ways. One is through Super Chat, in which case we read those at the top of the list. Then we'll also read standard questions, in which case, if you want to submit a standard question, just tag me in the live chat at Modern Day Debate. And I want to give you a reminder, folks, if you haven't yet, check out Modern Day Debate. It's available on the podcast. Check it out if you haven't already. It's on all your favorite podcast apps. And with that, I could get over to our guests for that open dialogue. Thanks so much. The floor is all yours. I don't, I don't even really, I, I don't really disagree with much of what Kay and Stephen said. So maybe David, if you have disagreement, take it away. Uh, sure. Well, you know, we're all here speaking English, so I imagine that is why when this conversation is happening in English, uh, Israelis in Israel speak Hebrew. Um, but going back to what you're calling apartheid, um, I would strongly disagree with that for many reasons. Um, all the Arabs who hold the blue ID card for Israel, they have all the same rights that I do. Any non-Jew in Israel has the same rights as a Jew. It's Palestinians who don't have the same rights as Jews, which would be the, first, the same to say as someone in Western Germany who's occupied by the US not having the same rights as a US citizen. It's, it's not a point right over here. I think this is an important distinction to be made. Um, what happened with English and Irish is also not entirely analogous to what's happening here in Israel. Um, as I mentioned, and I don't think it should be too controversial to say, um, Jewish presence predates Islamic presence and Palestinian presence here in Israel. Um, as I mentioned, we've been happy to share on five different occasions. There's been an opportunity for Palestinians to have their own state. And they could have had it. Um, it's not something that necessarily had to fight for. I think poor leadership. Leaders in foreign countries with bad intentions who don't care about pleasant people, that could be a reason why they don't have a state. Um, but as to apartheid, no, I'm sorry, I don't find that in the quite independency. No parallel between Ireland and English to Jews and 
at the Palestinians. Well, I mean, the Irish were kicked out of their homes. They were killed in the streets. Their houses, their uh, their their hospitals, their um, areas of education, um, their streets, their, their the entire land masses of their country was bombed. How can you possibly say that it's not analogous when that's exactly what's happening from Israel to Gaza right now? How can you possibly say that's not the same? It's literally the exact same thing is happening. Okay, so I would answer by saying that in between 47 to 49, there was a civil war between the Jews and the Arabs, Israelis and the Arabs. There was in 48, when Israel declared itself the state of the UN abolition plan, that five different countries invaded at last. There was a war going on. It wasn't the case of Israelis going out and driving out en masse all the way to Italy. It was a war. Post-war territory will swap, will change hands. That's, this happens throughout the history, it's happened throughout every single conflict that you can imagine. That there's once one side loses, they generally lose land as well. So that in a future conflict it becomes more difficult for them to attack, making it less advantageous for them to attack. The same happened in 67. The Egyptians started the war. Jordanians joined in, they lost, which meant they would lose territory as well. Israel in, what was it, I think, well, it was the late 70s, signed a peace treaty with Egypt and gave back the whole of Sinai. Israel being more than willing to swap land for peace. In 2008, it was Eud Olmert who offered the Palestinians, we'll give you a state, these are the conditions, we'll give you a state. They rejected it. This isn't a case of Israel deciding when it wants to, to go and conquer and occupy the whole of this area. It's been a case of Palestinians, more, like, more accurately Hamas, starting a war, and now they're complaining because they're losing. They have had how many years and how many billions of dollars in aid to provide and make shelters for the citizens. I have a bomb shelter in my apartment because of the rocket attacks. Our government, for all its faults, has made policies to ensure that if there are rocket attacks, I'm safe. Hamas has not done this. Hamas doesn't care about the citizens. David, can I just clarify? I just want to make sure that I understand your argument correctly. Are you saying that since it happened during war, that it's okay during wartime for an occupying force to take more land, which then taking land in the first place is what started the war. I think it's disingenuous to say that Hamas started this war because what is happening between the current Palestinian population, what is left of them, um, what is currently the current conflict happening between the current Palestinian populations and the state of Israel can be tracked back to the Nakba whenever Israel invaded a country they did not, they were, did not, they were not born in. They invaded a country they were not born in, took land, took homes, forcibly expelled people from their homes. There's people that were in the Nakba who had their families' homes taken away from them that are still living in Gaza today. To say that this started with Hamas, Hamas started a war and they're mad now that they're losing. 
Hamas didn't even come into existence until well after this war started. And you can trace back the current conflict mm -hmm. between the current Palestinian population in the state of Israel to Israel's conception, which was uh, Israel was created by the British Empire in a land that already had people living on it. That is the beginning of this current conflict. So the argument really doesn't make any sense to me to say, well, during wartime, they took more land because that's war. That's what started this war in the first place. Israel continuing to take land, shoving two million people into this tiny strip of land and then arguing that they can completely surround it and completely control everything that comes in and out of it and then be surprised whenever those oppressed people rise up and end up coming from a, a place of desperation and their civilians end up paying the price for that. I don't condone what happened on October 7th, but if we're not going to have a realistic discussion on why stuff like that happens, why people devolve into such seemingly senseless violence under oppression, then there's really no point in having a conversation about this anyway. If I may chime in, David. Yeah, you cool? Yeah, chime in. Yeah, so sure. maybe let, let's just talk a little bit about the history. I'll, I'll try to present this in as balanced a way as possible. But uh, the turn of the the 20th century, late 1800s, early 1900s, there was the Zionist movement. Uh, and this was really an attempt for European Jews to return to their ancestral homeland. Um, they saw an opportunity, right? This is when the world was changing and the concept of the nation state was popularized. Zionists saw an opportunity. They wanted to leave Europe where they were oppressed to live in a land where they can control their own destiny. That land happened to have been populated by other native populations, the Palestinian people. Um, the, the strategy the early Zionists took was not to forcefully displace them, not with violence. What they did was they, they bought land from Ottoman landowners and there were Palestinian farmers living on those lands and a few thousand of them, the numbers unclear, it's anywhere from a few thousand, I've seen estimates up to 10,000, were forced to leave their homes because that land was then owned by Jews. Now you could say that this is immoral. I'm not even gonna defend this and say they, that the Zionists were in the right to displace people from their homes, even if they bought the land legally. Okay. So I'm not going to defend that, but it's not like they came with guns and kicked people out of their homes. The response to this and Palestinians had every right to be um, frustrated and angry with this, um, with the Zionist movement trying to create a homeland on Palestinian land. I get it. Makes perfect sense. The response to that was to start to attack civilians. There was the Hebron massacre in 1929. So, you know, I mentioned earlier that Palestinian resistance has been primarily violent and primarily focused, uh, targeted towards civilians. So their response to the Zionist movement was, let's kill civilians. Zionists understood that in order for them to create a homeland, they need as much land as possible in a demographic majority. This is was strategic for them. So they took these attacks as a justification to take more land. Um, and then in 1947, partition plan was uh, proposed, which would split the land in half. The Jews agreed. I understand why the Palestinians didn't like the solution. Why should they concede any land to, to these foreigners? That's how they saw it. Uh, the response to, to partition was more violence, primarily against civilians. Um, but it wasn't only Palestinian violence. It was five countries, five Arab nations also attacked. Israel took this as an opportunity to expand their territory. Now, we could zoom forward to, to today. 
the primary means of activism has has still been violence towards civilians. Now, I imagine most Palestinians, if they could go back in time, would gladly accept the 1947 partition plan because they understand how ineffective their strategy has been. But it seems like, yet they're still convinced that we'll continue to be violent, we'll continue to attack civilians, and one day down the line, maybe one generation, two generations, three generations, we will liberate the land. Now, we, we talk about Palestinians and how they're desperate, and they are, and their desperation, a lot of it is, is Israel's fault. But to say that Hamas doesn't have any other alternatives and that October 7th was their only option, I just have trouble accepting that. So Hamas was elected in 2006. They made a decision to take billions of dollars in funding and use that to build tunnels and weapons instead of building infrastructure and turning Gaza into a beautiful a beautiful state. Now, it's true that the, the blockade does affect the economy of Gaza. That's a blockade that's done by both Israel and Egypt. For some reason, no one likes to talk about that, that Egypt's also involved in the blockade. But that blockade is a result of Israel knowing that if weapons can freely travel into Gaza, those weapons will be used against Israel. It's not that Hamas wants to attack Israel because there's a blockade. There's a blockade because Hamas wants to attack Israel. If Hamas actually cared about the citizens of Gaza, then they should invest that money into infrastructure and turn Gaza into a beautiful state. And that naturally will end the blockade because as long as there's no threat from Hamas, there won't be a blockade. So when I see the tragedy in Gaza now, and it is heartbreaking, uh, and Israel certainly is complicit, and I think Israel could do a lot differently, a lot to, to really change the situation on the ground, to make it seem like this is just Israel uh, just causing all the misery on the Palestinian people, not really looking at Hamas as just as complicit, if not more so. I think that's not really understanding the full picture here. So if we care about the Palestinian people, and I think that's noble to care about them, we should be equally critical of Hamas as we are with, with, the, with the government. They have the power to turn Gaza into a beautiful nation, yet they are deciding to continue a violent struggle against Israel, a struggle that they cannot win, and the cost of that is misery for Palestinians. Okay, uh, a couple things. First, I want to push back on the first talking point that you had, that the idea of Zionism is... Uh, a movement to return Jews to their ancestral homeland. Um, I feel like that's a little bit disingenuous whenever there have been, like we know that the Zionist project had looked at other areas on the map to um, to create a, the state of Israel, to create what would be the Jewish state. Um, there were several other options before they landed on the land that is known as Palestine. Um, so it wasn't, the Zionist movement wasn't just about, it wasn't about returning Jews to their ancestral homeland. It was about creating a safe place for the Jewish people that were experiencing oppression in other areas of the world. Um, right. And I don't think that that was wrong, but the idea that it was, they specifically zeroed in on Palestine because that is the ancestral home of the Jews, um, that doesn't, the, the, the literature, the, the, conversations that were happening amongst head Zionists at the time don't actually back that up. 
Wait, so why do you think they, they, they weighed a few different options? Why do you think they ended up choosing uh, Palestine? Because it's their ancestral homeland. I, I, I said in my opening statement that the primary uh, energy behind Zionism is ensuring security and, and being able to control our own destiny. Without a doubt, they had a few options. Ultimately, ultimately, they chose their ancestral homeland. Makes perfect sense, right? It does make sense to, to say that, you know, thousands of years ago, this is where our people lived. We have people that still live in the area now. This makes sense that we should establish a state here. I'm not arguing that that doesn't make logical sense. But whenever, whenever Zionists talk about the ties to the land, and Zionism is ultimately about returning us to our ancestral homeland. The origins of Zionism truly were just to establish a Jewish state. And they talked about multiple other options before they finally came upon the area that is Palestine. And it was kind of just like happenstance. Oh, well, we actually used to live here. So that makes this the most ideal place for it. But the driving force behind the idea of Zionism was not originally to return to the ancestral homeland of the Jewish people. So this idea of Jewish people having an historical tie to the land and a religious tie to the land being a defense of coming in and taking, removing people from their homes, removing them from their farmland, displacing them, um, using the power of, you know, whenever whenever Jewish settlers first started coming to Palestine, the Palestinian people were relatively a poor people. They could not combat wealthy Jewish people coming in and buying up land, just dropping the cash on the doorstep and buying up this land. They didn't have the means to do that. Um, so I think that there is a moral argument to say that rich, wealthy Europeans coming into a, a more impoverished people and taking up their land simply because they could is objectively an immoral thing. Can I, do you mind if I get on this? Yeah, no, I, I, I actually, I... I, I won't debate against the point that displacing people from their homes is immoral. I think that the early Zionists made a, a grave mistake doing so. I, I, I would even consider the original injustice in the Israel-Palestine conflict. I think uh, Palestinians should not have been displaced, but I don't think uh, a massacre of civilians should be a response to that. But I, I don't disagree with you. Okay, just one more thing, because I wanted to ask you uh, one more thing about your talking point about how it wasn't the purpose of the original establishers of the state of Israel to mass displaced Palestinians like that was never the intention so what are your thoughts on I, I, things I like it, plan I actually, d i actually think it was I, I i if you look at the writings of the early zionists uh there was there was a consensus that in order for the state of israel and not all zionists agreed with this but many of them uh, understood that in order for a jewish state to be successful there needs to be a demographic majority that can only happen with displacement there was debate over what how this displacement happens can we do it voluntarily um, through incentivizing Palestinians to move to what a Palestinian state would be, or would it be forceful? Once once war broke out, then force seemed to be the easiest and only way to achieve this uh, demographic majority. So displacement was very much part of the plan for many of the early Zionists. Okay. Yeah, David, David do you, you have something to say? Mm -hmm. David, you're at a point you want I've already made it. I would have just maybe added that there were also many different other Jewish settlements that were constructed outside of established, pre-established cities. The Zionists coming in wasn't just going into pre-established 
cities and, and displacing people, it was also building on unused land where no one was. I think my argument with that would be, like, I understand that it, making settlements on land where nobody was living, where nobody was farming, that's fine. Um, and I think that there, it's perfectly reasonable to say that uh, Jewish people were being ma massively oppressed in other parts of the world and they needed a safe place to go. And coming in and creating settlements around the already existing people is one thing. But to come in and establish an entirely separate state and then push the people that are were existing on that land off of that land is they're kind of two different things. If I believe that if in the ideal world that you know people like me would like to see in what is this it was considered Palestine, where Jewish people and Palestinian people can live in peace from the river to the sea, um, that possibly could have been accomplished if not for the undertones of settler colonialism that happened whenever Israel was established that caused forced displacement that caused a rift between two separate people and if in my opinion if there was no way to do it peacefully to create a, a Jewish state in the area of Palestine without forcible displacement without violence without causing that rift then the idea that Israel has a right to exist did not exist in that moment Uh, yeah, I don't yeah, just just one more time. Can you say? Did did you not? No, I missed the last two sentences. Uh, my argument is that if there was no way for Israel to establish its own independent state in on that land without displacement, without causing rift, without causing violence, or causing a violent uprising in response to forcible displacement. Um, then it, at that time, in that moment, before it was established, Israel did not have the right to exist. Yeah, so I, I personally don't disagree with, with that statement. I would, it's interesting if the early Zionists, instead of trying to establish a Jewish state, would have tried to establish a binational state, really work with the Palestinian population and establish a state together. Uh, would that have been successful? If it would have been, I, I feel like we would have been in a much better situation. A binational state was proposed in the 30s. Both the Jews and Palestinians rejected it. Uh, but this was after, you know, 40 years of uh, of conflict. Uh, if the, you know, if we started with that intention, it very well may have turned out differently. Um, but now we're at the point where Israel does exist. We can't, we can't dial back history. The question is really, how do we move forward? Um, if you all want, we could keep having a historical discussion, but I don't think talking about history is going to solve, get, going to change the future. I'd rather talk about the present and moving forward. Um, Cause Kay, yeah, I, agree. I, I agree the right for the right to create a Jewish state on, on land where there's other inhabitants. I don't, I don't think that they had that right, but they successfully did it. Now a Jewish state exists and it's hard to see a situation where we could dismantle that state and the Jews will remain safe. So how can we, given the current, current paradigm, create a situation on the land where, you know, Jews remain safe and Palestinians have justice. And I think this is a workable framework that we can, that we could try to talk through. Um, when it comes to, when it comes to uh, like the, the current situation, right? So, so Kay, I, I agree with 
you know, you mentioned you're, you're on the side of like human rights and you see the, the death toll in Gaza and it's hard to support that. I get it. Um, you know, if, if, if you can't sympathize with what's happening to the Palestinians, you might be a psychopath. Right. I, I think I think that's that's fair to say. Um, but it, we also like it's important to understand that generally speaking, humans are going to act in their in their perceived self-interest. So. Jews living on the land are going to value their lives over the land, the lives of Palestinians. Uh, Palestinians are going to value their lives over Jewish lives. This, this is human nature. So given, given this understanding of, of how people act, you know, it's not that, it's not that Israelis rejoice in the deaths of Palestinians. Sure. Some do, but the majority, they don't rejoice in the deaths of Palestinians for them. They just don't see any other way that they could remain to be safe um, with an enemy that uh, is determined to destroy them. So the, the brutality of Israel is, is really justified by most Israelis, not because they uh, want to see Palestinians suffer, but because they believe it is necessary for their survival. Whether that's the case, I think, is certainly up for debate. But I think understanding what drives it is, is important to understand. Stephen, you look very perplexed. Do you have something that you would like yeah, to say? Yeah, I mean, I... Like I yeah I mean like look I mean like talking about the historical aspects of it yes that's that's absolutely important and everyone else said that but yeah I do kind of want to kind of get back to you know the kind of current situation that's kind of happening here so I mean I guess my kind of question to the opposing team um, would be I mean like if we all agree that Hamas has has built tunnels and that they're underground. Why in why on earth are the IDF bombing buildings, especially hospitals that they know are populated by civilians? Okay, so because I, I, not... sorry, just like one other small point. Because to me, I, I mean, like that's like that's an act of terrorism, and I like I would like to kind of know why you would disagree with that point if you do. Okay. Um... When it comes to the issues of hospitals, schools, mosques, UN um, depots, they should be protected. They should be not necessarily at all costs, but if Hamas is using them to launch rockets for us, they're using those places to attack Israel from, then those, place, those places loses their protection under international law. Um, Israel has given warning, does give warning, hours, days, and weeks in advance that if the rockets continue to be fired from there, they will attack. If they're given advanced warning, an effort to evacuate, the Hamas leaders have stated on numerous occasions that they want, they don't mind their civilians dying. They view safety and concerns of civilians as a UN and Israeli problem. Um, the figures that were being given from the Gaza Health Ministry were all figures given by Hamas. There's no right now. Right now, there's no way to know how many of those are Hamas fighters, how many of those are civilians. Um, Hamas isn't just hiding in the tunnels, and the tunnels are being built under residential blocks. They're being built under mosques. They're being built under schools. So when you see Israel blowing up those residential areas, it's almost very likely that those are where tunnels are located. Tunnels that are being used by Hamas to safeguard their own 
fighters. Right, but um, I mean, I think it is. No, no, go on, go on. No, keep on one Please but, respond. I mean, like Hamas and and the like government of Palestine, they're not necessarily one and the same. If you were to say that they are, then you're to say that the Irish government and the IRA are one and the same, and that's just objectively false. If if the Hamas, if if what they are saying is that they don't care about the um, civilian casualties and they don't care about like their own people dying, then they need to be held accountable on that. But that doesn't that doesn't mean that the IDF thing just gets to indiscriminately bomb civilian buildings that they know that there's civilians in. Yeah, and also when they're when they're saying. When they're yeah. saying, oh, yeah, 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 we're like giving you all of this warning and you can just move south and stuff like that. Yeah, but they're also making it difficult for them to do that. In other words, like trying to keep them in the area that they are then planning on bombing later. And I mean, aside from anything else, if we're to just look at a number of other examples, like the 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 fear that i and i and i know a lot of other people have about this conflict is that like it it seems that it's never ending and the way that it's going it's going to be never ending because what you are doing right now is that like there are an entire generation of people who have been several generations of people who have been brought up under this conflict who don't know anything other than these guys have been bombing us for god knows how long you are like you are creating the future Hamas members who are going to be then fighting against the IDF. So I mean, like this is literally never ending. What, like, like, so can we at least agree that maybe the IDF shouldn't be bombing buildings that they know that civilians are in? And even if it, so, or is it the case that well, we don't care if we take out a hundred, two hundred, three hundred civilians, as long as we get four members of Hamas, or is that acceptable to you? Yeah, okay. I'd like to take this. Okay, go ahead, and then I'd like to, to add to that. Um, okay, so Hamas is in control of Gaza. They were the elected party in, in Gaza. Hamas is the ruling Palestinian party in Gaza. 18 years ago. Yeah, that the yeah, vast yeah. majority of Palestinians don't agree with what Hamas is doing. And also they won um, that they won 44% of that general election. So it wasn't even at the time, it wasn't even the vast majority of the population that wanted Hamas in 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 uh, power. Stephen, the, the majority of, of Palestinians, both in Gaza and the West Bank, do do support Hamas. Uh, they, they are the m- most popular Palestinian political party today. Well, I mean, considering that they're the only ones who are fighting back against the people who are bombing them, I'm not exactly surprised. The IRA was massively popular when, well, they, I, I, when I, Britain I, occupied us. And again, I'm not surprised. I, I think we could have a conversation about the psychology behind supporting an organization that is doing nothing but causing more misery. But I, that, that's a conversation we can have. But I just wanted to set the record straight that there is overwhelming support. Um, if I may talk a little bit about Israel's strategy uh, in, in Gaza. So it's often said that Israel is trying to really maximize civilian harm. But when we really look at the numbers, um, Israel has dropped over 20,000 bombs on 
dropping 20,000 bombs on a densely populated uh, city is is obviously going to have some serious civilian uh, toll. But if if we look at the, the amount of pe- people killed, it's around 20, 25,000. That means Israel is averaging one death per bomb. If Israel was actually trying to maximize civilian harm, clearly the numbers would be much harder. In, in order to actually have such a low amount of people killed per each bomb, there's actually an attempt not to maximize civilian death, it's to minimize civilian death. But it's not that Israel's entirely off the hook, right? So Israel is, an, their strategy is we can bomb, let's let's attack Hamas, we could destroy them, right? So that is their strategy. And I think there's there's probably better strategies that won't cause this much civilian death toll, but that is their strategy. Now, Hamas infrastructure is embedded within civilian infrastructure. So it's it's impossible to attack Hamas without killing civilians. Um, now, the, the Gaza Ministry of Health came out and said that 70% of those killed were civilians. That's, that's horrible. But that does mean that 30% are actually Hamas soldiers. And if you look at the numbers, 30%, that means around one third of Hamas has already been killed. Um, so militarily, it's actually been effective. Now, I, I do think you make a good point by saying, um, are we creating the next generation of terrorists? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, Israelis often complain about Palestinian population, how radical they are. Well, Israel engages in many activities that do nothing but further radicalize the Palestinians. And I think that's something they should be called out on. Um, but it, it's not it's not accurate to say that they're just trying to kill as many civilians as possible because the numbers don't reflect that. Um, and if their goal really is, if their strategy is a military strategy, it's impossible to do that without having a civilian death toll. So it's either we accept that civilians are going to die because Israel has a right to attack a terrorist organization that that massacred their civilians, or we could say Israel does not have a right to do that and they need to engage in other other means to dismantle Hamas. Uh, and if that's the case, I'd be interested in, in hearing what that, what that looks like. Uh, because I agree that seeing the destruction in Gaza uh, is heartbreaking. But I also don't really have a clear alternative. Like, I don't know what to tell my fellow Israelis. Guys, let's not attack. Let's do this instead. What is what is that alternative? Diplomacy, conversations, international pressure. Uh, if, if you guys really have a clear idea for what Israel could do to make sure that their civilians aren't going to be uh, massacred, I'd be I'd be interested in hearing. I, I do know. I do think that the, the simplest solution is for Hamas to just accept that Israel exists and start building Gaza rather than using their energy and their funds in, into bombing Israel or killing Israelis. Why is it that the simplest solution is to try and convince Hamas that Israel is a force that's not going away? Why is it not to to convince Israel to agree to a permanent ceasefire so that this can actually be discussed and that this can actually be sorted out? And I'm and, and, and sorry, just as another kind of slight thing, the idea that a 70% civilian death rate is a successful military tactic, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's ludicrous to me. I'm going to kind of like, can I just kind of reiterate what Stephen's saying a little bit? Because like what, I think what the issue is here is it seems, it seems like your solution is kind of put the ball in the court of the Palestinians but the harsh reality of the situation is, is that the Palestinians are punching up and Israel is very, very much punching down. They are the occupying force. They have the military. They have the support of the um, the biggest and most destructive military on the planet. 
um, to say that we need to rely on the resistance fighters to kind of just lay down arms and forget about their 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 entire cause. Hamas was created to resist the occupation of Israel. Um, to say that we should expect terrorists, we've labeled these people terrorists, we can't expect them to act in any other way but as terrorists. So to put the ball in the court of Hamas, Hamas needs to do this in order for the solution to move forward just doesn't really make sense. Yeah, well, you know, I was invited to be on the pro-Israel side, so naturally I'm going to focus a little bit more on Hamas, but I think both sides uh, are are responsible for this situation and can do a whole lot to, to change the situation. I, I don't agree that because one side's more powerful, therefore the other side doesn't have responsibility. This is kind of like a uh, this, like, new idea that comes out of Western activism, that if you're oppressed, you have zero agency and zero accountability, and there's absolutely nothing you could do to change your situation. Uh, but I, I just I just don't accept that because we see a cl clear things that Hamas can do to improve the situation of Gazans. And if you really want to improve your situation, don't wait for others to change it for you. Take control, take responsibility, and, ch and change your life. Um, again, this doesn't mean Israel is not responsible, but this whole idea that because Palestinians are weak, therefore they could do no wrong, and because Israel is strong, everything they do is wrong, I just don't think that's a that's a framework to really uh, you know, reconcile and, and move forward towards a peaceful resolution. But see, whenever like whenever we're discussing the idea of Palestinians improving their lives inside the Gaza Strip, Hamas working to build infrastructure to make Gaza a better, more livable place, they could do all of that. Um, they could create a thriving cities, thriving cities throughout the Gaza Strip, um, a thriving society, a thriving government. That's not going to change the. IDF picking up children on the side of the road and detaining them without trial, without representation and barring them from seeing their family. It's not going to stop IDF soldiers from just senselessly shooting and murdering people at checkpoints. The reality of the violence mm -hmm. that Palestinians are responding to is the fact that it is very much a response. Violence is always going to be responded to with equal violence. And the reality is, is that Palestinians live under terrorization from Israel all day, every day. Yeah. And so I think it's important for us to acknowledge that maybe this is something we could agree on. Both sides are acting violently as a response to the violence of the other. So we're stuck in this bloody cycle of violence. Israel being the more powerful one has the upper hand and we're, you know, we're losing less lives. But it's not like Israeli violence was created in a vacuum. That's also a response to violence. So, so again, I'll, I'll go back to the point that if we really want to end the violence, we need a, we need both sides to take responsibility for their contribution to this uh, horrible situation. Stephen, again with the perplexed face. Yeah, I, I mean, I like, is there? I, I, I mean, like, is yes. is there is there like a genuinely like is there a good argument as to why Israel is not? agreeing or is not even appears to be open to a permanent ceasefire so that this can be addressed um so i mean i don't know mind. yeah go ahead david go ahead so we are there was a ceasefire on the 6th of october and we saw what happened when it comes to prolonged ceasefire and after what hamas did on the 7th of october there's not going to be a permanent ceasefire until Hamas itself is dismantled until we can get rid of Hamas. I don't think that myself and Adel, we've always said that we take no joy, we don't have any pleasure, we don't want 
innocent civilians to die. But as also as I said in my opening, our safety and security does not come at the expense of sorry, um, security shouldn't come at the expense of Hamas staying in power and it was being slow freely. With Hamas in power, that's a major uh, much of what Hadar said, where the Iraq could do so much better, Israel could do so much better to bring this conflict in the West Bank, in Gaza, to a more peaceful solution. I, I agree. There are many things that could be said about the Israeli side, but to leave Hamas in power with their desire for a Palestinian Islamic State from the north to the south, from the east to the west, that's not a viable option anymore. After October 7th, it's no longer a viable option to leave them in power. Um, I have to push back a little bit, David, against your your opening remark about how there was a ceasefire on October 6th, because the reality of that is, is that all that meant is that Israeli civilians were not dying. Between October 1st and October 7th, eight, eight Palestinian civilians were shot and killed by IDF or by Israeli settlers. Um, during ceasefires, that just means that Israelis are not dying. Palestinians continue to die in between those ceasefires, and they continue to be victims of incredible violence at the hands of the IDF and at the hands of Israeli civilians. Okay. Do you, you do know that there are suicide bombing, suicide attacks, there are knife attacks, there are random shootings in the West Bank and in Israel. You do know that there are rockets fired from Gaza into Israel. And the reason why we have so few casualties from the rocket attacks is because we have shelters, both in the public and in our homes, we have shelters. It's not because during times of ceasefire, Hamas stays put in bunkers and Palestinians stay put in beds. The Israelis are dying too. But not nearly at the same rate that Palestinians are. And if you look back through history, there is, even on October 7th, again, not condoning what happened, but few people realize, few people even know that Hamas literally told the Israeli government that they were going to do October 7th. They didn't say when it was going to happen, but they told them in response to the, um, the marches and all of the protests that were happening at the border crossings for the Palestinian political prisoners, Hamas was telling the Israeli government, you need to release our political prisoners, all the people that you're holding without charge, they need to be released immediately, including the thousands of children. Um, and those protesters were, those nonviolent protesters were shot at. And in response, Hamas did release a statement saying that there was, there was going to be a direct attack on Israeli civilians until what they consider to be Palestinian hostages were released. Taking prisoners, taking hostages. I'm not, okay, I'm not sure they actually came out and said that they're going to attack them, but um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure that that actually happened. But are you talking I can about see like, if I can find it? Yeah, yeah. Are you talking about the March of Return where thirty thousand Palestinians walk to the to the Gazan border to try to cross the border? No, no. This was a protest that happened in, I believe, in September. They they were just people gathered at the border crossing. They were not trying to cross. They were just protesting at the border crossings for the politic for the Palestinian political prisoners. Okay, yeah, I'd be interested in, in knowing a little bit more about that. Uh, I, I I could expand on uh, on Stephen's question about why not a permanent ceasefire. Um, 
Benjamin Netanyahu, October 7th was uh, the largest stain on his his legacy of many stains. Um, it, it's interesting because a lot of people make this claim that Israel allowed it to happen. Who exactly allowed it to happen? Did Benjamin Netanyahu want to destroy his career? Uh, the next time there's elections in Israel, it looks like Benjamin Netanyahu is gone. And we don't know what good will come out of this horrible situation, but Bibi being gone might be one good thing that comes of it. Uh, he didn't have any incentive to allow that to happen, but he does have an incentive to have a decisive victory because if he has any hope to remain in power, it's a decisive victory. And he has also incentive to, for this to be a prolonged conflict. So maybe Israelis forget about what happened and can forgive him and he can remain in power. He's very self-interested. Um, so on one hand, the the disagreement for a permanent ceasefire is really just the, the personal interest of Benjamin Netanyahu on one hand. On the other, uh, the Israeli population, they're, they're so fed up, they just want to see Hamas be destroyed. So it would any leader that would come and do have some kind of a ceasefire that would see Hamas remain intact would really be political suicide. So you, you have a, a challenging situation where, and, and, and this is also, you know, I, I suppose the reason why Israel um, responds to rocket fire with bombing Gaza, even though it's unclear that that's an effective strategy, it's because if they were to not do that, the citizens would view that leader as weak and they would lose the next election. So you kind of have this situation where the people's expectation of their government causes the government to act uh, aggressively and uh, maybe even irrationally. And I actually think Palestinian leadership undergoes something similar. The reason why Hamas is more popular than the Palestinian Authority is because they act more aggressively towards uh, Israeli civilians and something that the Palestinian uh, people support. So I don't really quite know how to change this paradigm aside from really having like a bold, courageous leader that's going to rise up and and make this change. But uh, leaders generally are, are care more about their own self-preservation than anything else. And when you look at the 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 you know sentiment of the people, it's it's you respond to force with force, or you respond to occupation with force. So that really causes the leadership to. If you want to be a popular leader, whether it's a Palestinian leader or an Israeli leader, you need to be hawkish. And it's unfortunate. And I, I don't really have a solution for it, but it should give us some insight as to the, the incentive structure on the land. Does everybody feel good? Does everybody feel good with that open? Does everybody feel good with that open dialogue? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Okay, it's a good opportunity. We'll jump into the Q and A. I want to say, folks, if you happen to have a question, as mentioned, you can submit it two ways: one via just tagging me with that Modern Day Debate in the live chat, or you can do it via super chat, as those will go to the top of the list. Also, check out the description box if you haven't already. You can find our guest links in the description box right now, including if you're listening via the podcast. Our guests are the lifeblood of the channel. We appreciate them. So do check out their links if you'd like to hear more of their views. With that, we're going to jump into this next one from the Social Democrat says, for everyone, okay, really quick, uh, this is a refresh it, a little change up. They say, Trump or Biden, who are you? I don't know if you're <laughs> predicting or who would you prefer? So let's do both <laughs> really quick. Who would you just like objectively like, doesn't mean that you like them, but who do you think I mean, is going to win? 
like I can confidently say that as an as an as an outsider, Trump was definitely. I mean, he was one of the worst U.S. presidents in history. But Biden, I mean, he's like a laptop on four percent battery. So I mean, like, I don't, I don't, I don't like. I don't know anymore, man. America is my favorite non-actual, you know, fake reality TV show at the moment. So I no prediction. I, oh, if, I mean, if you had to hold me to a prediction, I think that Biden is just going to edge it out. But I do think it's going to be a little bit closer than it was in 2020. Juicy. Anybody else? Um, yeah, ha- happy to go next. I mean, first of all, if, if we want to really understand a, a, a flawed democracy, you have a population of 350 million people and they produce such horrible results every single election. It's it's mm-hmm. kind of bewildering to see how there's so much so much talent in the United States and you literally have one guy with dementia and the other guy who also might have dementia. Neither of them would we feel comfortable babysitting our children or really holding any any position of, of power and yet they're they're in maybe the most important position in the world. Uh, in terms of who I would prefer, I mean, I'm certainly not a fan of either, but I, I for, for the sake of the Supreme Court, I would like the Supreme Court to be a little bit more balanced than it's right now leaning way to the right. So for that reason alone, I would support Biden. Uh, but I actually think Trump's going to win. Uh, Biden has like an approval rating in, in the 20s. I don't think any any president has had such a low approval rating at this point in their first term. Um, and the 20. 20 election was much closer than many people realize. And with, with this level of polling, I, I don't see how Biden pulls it out. I think if the Democrats are smart, they they replace him, let him live the rest of his life. And honestly, what they're doing is elder abuse. Like somebody in Joe Biden's condition should not be eating. Like it's just not, it's sad. They should find, bring some young energy in there and, and have somebody run against Trump who could actually win because I don't think Biden's going to. Anybody else? Um, yeah, I'll go. Um, I'm actually hoping to be dead before this election happens. Um, <laughs> but if um, I, I have to say, like, part of me, because I'm not, I really am not politically involved. Um, but for, part of me wants to believe that the progressives and the people that are just kind of fed up with the Democrats at this point, after seeing how they've responded to this conflict, um, that they can pull out and really give the DNC a run for their money personally but um yeah i don't know i think that trump might actually be able to pull out a win this time wow anyone else david don't hold back yes (laughs) i when it comes to trump or biden i have no idea um i think i hope biden wins um i don't want trump to win i that was a terrible four years for everyone. Uh, I think it set the country. I think I think it set the U.S. back in so much. I hope Biden wins. Juicy. This one coming in from. Appreciate your question. Otto says, "Do you want Ukraine to win? Just want to understand the correlation between supporting Israel slash Palestine versus Ukraine slash genocidal Russia." Any thoughts? Um, I think genocide is always bad. Don't do it. Whatever side's hot, doing it is bad. It's a, <laughs> a hot take right there, okay? <laughs> I'm, 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 RMT says, heart of the problem is religion. Wow. 
they say Jew slash Muslim. Yes. Their father Abraham was so uh, was from you are or uh, I'm saying it's wrong. I'm sure Ur uh, in parentheses Iraq. They say a Chaldean. Sarah was also a Chaldean. This is a Bronze Age tribal. Whenever it's like parroting the Richard or the Hitchens, a Bronze Age tribal religious fight. Let them fight it out. <clears throat> what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, a lot of people try to view this as a religious conflict. I think religion certainly makes it fuels the conflict. But I think if everybody on the land were tomorrow to just denounce their religion and become atheists, you'd still have an ethnic and uh, na mm -hmm. national conflict. Uh, at the end of the day, you have two distinct populations who are quite different from each other. They not only have different religions, they're culturally different. They speak different languages. They languages they have different customs and they've been in conflict with each other for for over 100 years so religion is not the only fuel to the fire that is the israel-palestine conflict uh it's much deeper than that um and also it's not like the second you become atheist you that often often when you become atheist you have other dogmas like political ideology uh some of the more extreme you know israelis are not religious but they're they're very right in the so i think that yeah, religion fuels it, but it's not it's not the the, the central uh, fuel to to the fire. Yeah, and also even if it was a conflict of religion, the whole idea of like let them fight it out and kill each other in the name of religion is also like not yeah, a it's pretty, good way to look at it. Yeah, pretty bad. I mean, like I'm an I am an atheist. I'm an equal opportunities offender. I think all religions are equally wrong, apart from Mormons. Just, just no. They're more wrong. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think to kind of frame it as like a, a, a just a religious issue is not. Yeah, I don't, I don't agree with that frame. Yeah. I think all four of us agree that this that religion exacerbates this conflict mm. way more than it already needs to be. You got it. Did anybody have any other thoughts on the uh, Otto is concerned in chat? On what? He he wanted as did anybody have any other thoughts on the is there a correlation between supporting Israel versus Palestine and who one supports regarding Ukraine versus Russia? Anybody have I didn't mean to cut it off if anybody had extra thoughts they want to share. Um, on I do think it's I mean there's there's certainly a correlation um i like i can only kind of speak to the certain kind of circles that i run in on like twitter and stuff like that like or like in you know wider kind of youtube spaces and stuff like that it does definitely seem to be an awful lot of the same people who were on the side of ukraine who are now on the side of uh, palestine i don't think it's all of them like like each and every single person but it is definitely curious as to why there's a correlation there I mean, like, I, like, I think the correlation, if you were to kind of put it down to, you know, to objectify it, you know, it would be kind of, I mean, this is obviously going to be a little bit of my bias and why I'm on this side. But I mean, it would be kind of, you're looking at it as a, an occupying country that is invading and taking land and taking territory away from a, a different, like that, like those two, like that, that element is, is present in both of those, those examples. So that's maybe kind of why there's an awful lot of people on the same sort of sites and stuff here, but I don't know. I'm just spitballing at this point. Yeah. I think I sort of agree with Stephen, but I think it all goes to that power imbalance between one massive military superpower being Russia 
and a smaller country, weaker country, theory being Ukraine, which is However, I do swing the other way, and I would prefer Ukraine to get back to the old borders and then, you know, have it will end there. You got yeah. it. That reminds me. Oh, wait. Before I do yeah, jump, I, just, go ahead. Just to add to that, I mean, I think the, the simplest way to understand the correlation is, you know, generally those on the left, they will support the less powerful entity. So you're going to see a correlation. Many support Ukraine as well as Palestine because they're the weaker ones. Um, yeah, so that, that that's a clear correlation. But I, beyond that, I'm not quite sure. You got it. Any last thoughts on that one? No. One thing I was going to mention is that, folks, someone pointed out to me recently, and it's true, is... We have not had, I don't think we've had one debate on whether or not you could say we've given Muslims and Christians, and we've even had like a case for atheism type of debate more than once, and case for Islam, case for Christianity. We have never had a case for Judaism. So if someone wants to come on, I do want to let you know, folks, in the live chat, if you're watching later as well, if you email me at moderndaydebate at gmail.com, if you want to make the case for Judaism, the religion, we are happy to have that. The only thing I just have to ask is that the same way with like Christianity and Islam is I try to vet in the sense that I'm kind of like, do you, or people usually want to hear like a defense of like the Orthodox view by that. I don't mean Greek Orthodox. I mean like the kind of like standard, like you believe in a personal God that hears prayers and you believe in like the major doctrines of the faith, not like, you know, some people out there, are, there's some theologians that are atheists and they call themselves Christians. And it's like, okay, we're not going to have them come on and make a case for Christianity. Or they're maybe like, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't really believe in any of the doctrines of the Bible. I just, <laughs> when I'm a Christian and I make up my own kind of theologies, like, well, we're looking for like more standard, conventional cases. With that, jumping into the next question. Thanks very much. John Michael B says, Kate. You agree with the sentence, free Palestine from the river to the sea? You know what that sentence means? I, I know what I know what Israel defenders want it to mean. I know that they want to get all butt hurt over a phrase of words whenever people are literally dying. Please get over yourself and stop being offended by everything. There are Israelis that use that phrase in reference to Israel. Okay, nobody is saying that in being like, let's kill all of the Jews, okay? Relax. And I said it in the context of Palestinians and Jewish people living alongside each other in the state of Palestine, so calm down. You got it. This one from Taking Back Eden says, will Israel live by the Ten Commandments again? I don't know. Always got something from... I hope not. Watermelon786 oh. says, can each of the panelists react to the preliminary... ICJ ruling against Israel. Who one of you help me with the uh, acronym ICJ? What's that mean? Independent Court of Justice. I actually didn't look thoroughly into the ruling, but the reason I didn't look is because I'm not particularly interested. Uh, international law, I think, does have some value, but a law that's not enforceable doesn't really hold much weight, and international law, unfortunately, is generally not enforced. Uh, but it seems like the ruling was uh, that uh, they actually didn't call for a ceasefire, which 
interesting. They called for release of hostages. Uh, it seemed like, by and large, the the ruling was favorable towards Israel. Um, but again, even if it, even if they said Israel is committing the crime of genocide, what would anybody do about it? Like, I, I really don't think it would have made a difference. So I'm not particularly interested in that case. You got it. This one coming in from do appreciate it as well. Otto says, "Hey James, why don't you have debates about uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine? It is probably the most important topic in the world for a." Two years straight or so. That's true. We haven't had it in a while. We've had several, but I do agree with you. It'd be good to have it because we haven't had it in a while. This one coming in from Taking Back Eden says, advocate for M. Oh, okay. They say uh, for murder, you, you're going to do it. Oh, man, I don't know what you mean by that. I, does anybody know what that means? Advocate for murder, you're going to do it. That was the statement. I think they mean like you're going to advocate for murder, and I don't know who they're saying it to, though. Was there anybody? Well, there? I, I mean, I can, I can only speak for myself. I didn't advocate for, for the murder of anybody, so I know it's not addressed to me. Yeah, I'll go on the the record saying murder is bad. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, no, take, but yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah fair. Uh, but, you know, I think if, if I'm to try to understand that question, you know, it, this is a very, like, emotional issue. And people um, come into it with some preconceived notion. And you can have, like, we're having, by and large, a respectful conversation, which I, I'm appreciative of because it's very hard to come by uh, in today's climate. Mm -hmm. But I think some of the viewers aren't actually listening. They're just furious and they're hearing what they want to hear. And, you know. So, so some some of the comments are naturally going to be quite irrational and and perhaps even incoherent. You got it. This one coming in from. Appreciate your question. M K Math says, please identify one or two things that you can admit that the side you are here to support is doing wrong morally, and what should they be doing differently? That's an awesome question. I'm happy to go first. I think Israel has. Uh, has accepted the status quo as as normal without understanding that the status quo will always produce more violence. Israel's done very little to actually um, re-energize re the peace process. Um, we have done very little to improve the lives of Palestinians, both, both in the West Bank and Gaza. There's very little accountability when soldiers in the West Bank abuse their power. Settlement expansion does nothing but further cause despair amongst Palestinians. Uh, we don't teach her. Uh, we can't we can't even communicate with Palestinians because we don't speak the same language. We could start teaching Arabic in schools. We could teach we could teach the pa Palestinian narrative and we could really orient our population towards peace uh, and engage in a lot of good faith measures that will uh, aid in the de-radicalization of, of the Palestinians. Right now, there's such a deep level of fear hate and despair that it's hard to perceive any solution and and you know the, the the population the palestinian population their sentiment is very much a result of the environment that they are living in israel has a lot of control over their environment and they don't take much consideration to how they could create uh, an environment which will create a population that is open to peace with israel you got it i, I think thought? i, I yeah, I'd like to hear everyone's question. Um, yeah, I can go next. Um, I've been noticing just on my side that 
Um, people that are on the pro-Palestinian side have a hard time finding balance um, between centering the voices of Palestinians, particularly Palestinians that are currently living in Gaza and in the West Bank. You know, thanks to the internet, we can have direct communication with these people. And I do believe that whatever we're talking about, you know, things like mass murder, mass starvation, what is happening to the Palestinian peaceful Pacific uh, particularly in the Gaza Strip, that we should be centering their voices and we should be listening to what they have to say. Um, but I think the pro-Palestinian side has a hard time striking balance between the idea of centering those voices and understanding that these people are living in an active war zone. They are burying the their bodies of their family members. They are going hungry. They are uh, experiencing malnutrition. They're not going to be of the mindset to be able to make long-term plans as far as what is the best next step for this for towards a solution right now and expecting so much of these people while they are trying to just survive and being able to find the balance between centering the voices of Palestinians while also not putting too much pressure on the people that are literally living through a war right now. Yeah, I mean, to, to kind of add to that, I, I, I would just kind of say that, like, look, I mean, definitely, you know, by and large and in general, I am against uh, any kind of political violence and stuff like that. Like, but I just kind of find it very, very hard to, like, not understand where, uh, you know, the initial organization of Hamas is kind of coming from, especially from, like, the historical standpoint with like what ireland did with the ira and stuff like that um look i mean they're not exactly viewed very favorably now but they were definitely at the time that so i mean i i hate the idea of civilian casualties on on any um side because i mean like whether or not you're you're part of either organization uh you know of the military um if you're not part of that, then like you're not necessarily involved, and you know, so like you don't uh, expect to, you know, come come uh, go back to your house and see it not there, see it being leveled and everything else like that. Like, and that is absolutely tragic for whoever it happens to. Um, I mean, like that is definitely just why I would be on the side of just calling for a permanent ceasefire and getting this shit sorted out, you know, so that so that that sort of stuff stops happening. Um, unfortunately, I I just don't really kind of, I I would like that to happen. I just don't necessarily see it see it happening anytime soon. Anyway, you got it. Anyone else? Oh, sorry, I missed the internet. We'll cut out. Everything froze. What was the question? It was, let me reread this to get it in full. But basically, it's asking whether or not you think that your side, it says, please identify one or two things that you can admit that the side you are here to support is doing wrong morally. And what should they be doing differently? Oof. Did you hear that? Um... Read it again. They say, please the, identify. Um, what's um, broken up? What side? The side that you're here to defend. Defend is doing a immoral. Um, I do think there could be a lot more effort to be uh, humanitarian aid brought in. I think a lot more effort needs to be made to bring humanitarian aid into the Gaza Strip. 
You got it. Let me just check for any last questions. Uh, Norek, thanks for your question. We're going to try to let our guests out pretty quick here. As I, I do have to give huge street cred. We always are grateful for our guests. We've got to say thank you to all of our guests. Don't worry, I've got this last question, like I said. But I do want to say also our guests, some of them are staying up extra late. So I'm in central time. It's only like 830 here. No problem. Uh, cider and port. What time is it where you are right now? It is currently uh, 2.30 in the morning. Wow, that's hard. And I, I, I do want props for fucking Americanizing my language there because I would never, ever, ever say 2.30 in the morning. I would always say half two in the morning. But anyway, that's just a slice. I didn't know that. And then, David, <laughs> what time is it where you are? Half past four in the morning. Holy we we, uh, we do appreciate our guests yeah. bigly, uh, but we do want to say yes. Check out their links in the description. And then this last question, I'm actually going to, let's see, uh, can you do a debate on Superman versus Goku? You mean like who would win? Uh, that, I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. But I want to say a huge thank you to our guests. Let me just double check last one. The uh, Bitter Truth says, is occupation legal to pro-Israel? I think they're saying for the people that are pro-Israel, that pro-Israel team, namely you, David, and Solha or Adar, they say is occupation legal. Yes. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I'm I'm not an expert at international law because I don't think it's enforceable, so I'm not I'm not super interested in it. But yeah. from what from what I understand, that the majority of the inter international lawyers consider settlement expansion to be illegal. Uh, Israel and their team of attorneys have a different interpretation of that. But David, maybe you have a different take. The, the question is, in general, is occupation legal? Like Adara, I'm not an expert in, in, in international law. But yes, occupation, depending on the right of cons, uh, circumstances, is legal. I refer you back to the occupation of Germany by the Allied forces after World War II. Yeah, I, I think the legality of uh, what's going on in the West Bank and, and what's going on in Gaza, I think that would be a great question for an international lawyer. Yeah, I, I think from my understanding that you can occupy a nation for for military purposes. So for Israel to hold the West Bank to ensure, let's say, that attacks aren't being happening from the West Bank into Israel, I think that's legal. But then when it comes to moving your citizens into that occupied territory and uh, expanding your territory, territory into the occupied territory, I think that is the consensus there is that that's illegal. Any last thoughts? Um, I know that forcible relocation is illegal. Is legal or whatever illegal? the case may be, I do is legal. Um, forcible relocation is illegal. But whatever the case may be, I do think that settlements like Hamas, are a massive impediment to any peace between the sides. You got it. Anyone else? Cool. Let me just double check for one last one. I think we're good, though. I want to say, folks, check out our links, uh, guest links in the description, including if you're listening via the podcast, as we put our guest links in the description box there as well. I want to say a huge thank you. Hey, Stephen. Adar and David, it's been a true pleasure to have you here with us tonight. Thank you so much for hosting, James. Thank you so much, James. Thanks, James. Thanks, everyone else. I hope you get some good rest. Folks, 
Stick around. I'll be back in just a moment with some updates about upcoming debates. So stay here, and I'll be right back in just a moment. Hey, thanks so much for being with us, folks. You guys, that was a blast. I'm going to fix this little Zoom feed here. Two minutes or two seconds. want to say uh, we are so thankful for our guests. Seriously, they are the lifeblood of the channel. They make this channel rock. They are what have, like, they've made it fun. They've made it rock and awesome. So I do want to say we appreciate them, to say the least. We're excited. We're excited about a lot. So I've got to tell you a couple of things. First, bitter truth. So sorry. It was like just the last moment your super chat came in and said, can you justify occupation occupying? Um, let me know on the next debate if you want me to read like a, a normal chat as a super chat. Well, we can even read it as the very first one. I owe you one for that. So I am sorry about that. I, uh, that was like right as I went off air. So thank you, bitter truth, for that last minute super chat. I do want to say, folks, we are excited about a couple of things. One is we have a lot of debates. Next week, we've got like three or four booked. So I want to give you an example. In particular, I think it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We've got three. Then I think we've got one on the weekend. That one I have to look up. I'm trying to remember what it is. So I want to tell you this, though. As you can see at the bottom right of your screen, today's debate is sponsored by Visible Wireless. Folks, you don't want to pay too much for your wireless service, namely your cell phone. You're walking around using your data. Get unlimited talk, unlimited text, and unlimited high-speed data for 20 bucks. Technology is improving, things are getting better, and some things are getting cheaper. For just 20 bucks a month, you get all that unlimited talk, text, and data, plus unlimited high-speed hotspot data. Amazing! That is linked in the description. If you click on our link, you will get, for just 20 bucks a month, visible wireless for your phone. I highly encourage you to do this. Why? Because I only promote what I use. So this is something I use. You're actually getting an even better deal than I. So when I signed up, I think I got a similar deal, but it was only like three months maybe where you got it for 20. And now what I have is I pay 25 bucks a month, but you will get it locked in for 12 months where you will get to You'll only have to pay 20 bucks. It's amazing. So I highly encourage you, Visible Wireless, as you can see at the bottom right of the screen, check out that link in the description box, including if you're listening via the podcast, that referral link is in the description box right now. That supports Modern Day Debate. So we really do appreciate you doing that. So if you're kind of thinking, if you're like, yeah, I've been thinking about maybe transferring to a different uh, service provider, and maybe it's only like $5 a month cheaper. You're like, I don't know. I mean, I get it for 25. I get the same thing. It's like, well, hey, I mean, $5 a month, that's money back in your pocket. A dollar saved, or I should say a dollar not spent is a dollar saved. I highly encourage you to check out that link. You can use that five bucks. Treat yourself to a coffee every month. What do you want to, you know, whatever you want to do. You can, we got to tell you, we're excited though. I want to say hello to you in the live chat right now. Trigger warning. Good to see you. Arminius, happy to have you here. Spark 34. 344. Glad to have you with us. You could be anywhere, folks. Right now, you could be watching the Royal Rumble for the WWE. Amazing that you're here. So I want to say thank you for that. I haven't even, yeah, I mean, this is like, this is an important debate. You really wanted to be here. I really want to be here because I didn't even, not once during the debate did I turn on the Royal Rumble because I, I was tempted to pull up uh, cause I've got like, I got, uh, I always get in on that black Friday deal with, uh, Peacock where it's like, I don't know, like three bucks a month. And then you can watch the pay-per-views live, which is pretty cool. But 
I resisted the temptation and I did not watch Royal Rumble during this. So exciting stuff. You guys, we have chosen together. It was mutual. We chose to be here tonight. And I want to say I appreciate you for being with us. Murad L. Amrani, thanks for coming by. Lambie, happy to have you. Gypsy Lil, glad to have you with us. Occult Music, happy to have you here. S-G-W-A-I-C, happy to have you with us. Slang, glad that you're with us. I see you there in the old live chat. I want to say, my friends, we're excited about a lot. In particular, YouTube is doing some things that I would actually say are positive. I got to say, we got to give it to YouTube. They have been pushing out our content a ton. So Modern Day Debate has had record growth in the last few months. Uh, November was our biggest yet with 22,000 new subscribers. So which reminds me, if you haven't yet hit that subscribe button, subscribe now while we are small. I'm not joking, folks. You're like, ah, it's like you're, you're not really small anymore. You're like 175,000. Like you got a lot of subscribers there, James. Modern Day Debate is only just beginning its story. My friends, we have been being we've been very conservative in terms of the risks that we've taken with our in-person events. Because, you know, if you risk it, if you roll the dice and you're like, wow, so we're gonna do a big event where you know pay somebody fifty thousand dollars. Cause some of these people have honorariums that are that big. You know, they've got seven million subscribers. Some of them are like, well, you know, I'll go I'll come do a debate if you pay me. $50,000 or $75,000. That's some of them really do want that. We've never done anything like that. So we've always played it safe. But now we're getting to the point where we're like, hey, like we're sneaking up on 200,000. We are expecting by which thanks to you. Again, I just want to say thanks to you. We are expecting that modern day debate will probably hit 200,000 subscribers sometime in May. So I mean, we're pretty close to being in February here. So that's fast. Like, that's just a few months away. Uh, we think that Modern Day Debate, which is crazy to think that we'll say, whoa, we're going to be at that point of saying we have hundreds of thousands of people that are backing this channel. So we want to say thanks for all those. All of your guys is subscribing. Thanks for your hitting that like button. Thanks for sharing. That's a big thing. I'd say shares really make a difference if you share it with a friend or a group of friends online the cool thing is that you are objective in their eyes if i go around and i tell people to join you know subscribe or watch modern day debate they're like yeah was like of course james like you started modern day debate and all that it doesn't have as much credibility but if you do and you're like hey well, i found this channel it's a neutral channel and they host debates and they have all sorts of topics and you know, they give a fair shot to both sides and you really get to hear both sides is that if you do that and you say, hey, it's pretty interesting, you know, check it out. There's no other channel like it. I mean, you could say, hey, well, but what about Intelligence Squared? It's like, well, this is like kind of. I'll say it's close, but the amount of kind of like lectures that they have is kind of like, are you sure it's a debate channel or it's also, is, it does have a lot of debates and dialogues. But sometimes it even has like what seem to be like little mini lectures from just one person. Or sometimes it's like a dialogue between people that seem to just agree. So I would say modern day debate in terms of like a just very clean cut, very clear in terms of what we're doing here. Very straightforward. Just, hey, it's a debate channel. It's as simple as that. There are no essay videos from me. So if I ever decide like, oh, I want to take a hard stance on israel or palestine side or christianity or atheism or democrats or republicans whatever 
I would never do it here. First, I don't really have, I don't feel called to do that type of content right now. But if I did, let's say I was like, oh, I want to. And I'm like, well, I'd start my own channel somewhere else. It would have a different name. It'd be, you know, James Coons and, you know, just be my views. But I will never upload those videos here. I'm never going to like, that'd be some sort of gross hijacking of the channel of if I was like, oh, I'm going to put my own essay videos out now. It's like, wait, you said this is neutral for like five years. And so now that you've got this huge subscriber base, you're going to try to, no, that's not, that's weird. We're not doing that. We are walking the walk. We're not just talking the talk when it comes to being neutral. Modern day debate is neutral. It always has, it is now, it always has, and it always will be a fully neutral channel. We're excited about that. You can count on that. We appreciate all of your support of that. Thanks. I always forget to say this. We should, we should uh, talk about this more often. Anathema, I see you there in the old live chat. Thanks for reminding me. We do have channel memberships. So I highly encourage you like, hey, check it out. Consider becoming a member. I think right now, Anathema, just a heads up that I think that you have the link for joining the Matters Now channel, but that's okay. As, uh, just as so you know, in that, that uh, copy and paste chat that you have there, but not a problem. Folks, if you want to join Modern Day Debate, you can click or I should say you can find that join button right below the title. I want to say, though, thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. Otto says, imagine it is hard to be truly neutral, especially when someone says really stupid stuff. So huge kudos to you. Thanks your kind words. I appreciate it. Appreciate that a lot. Mia Shem Sausage Lips says, we love you, James. Thank you, Mia. We appreciate that. I have a feeling Mia is actually like Earl, the postman from Alabama. This is not like a supermodel from Russia, but thanks, Mia. Hey, wait, <laughs> what is it with you? Have you guys ever noticed that? Hold on. I'm getting hot. Two seconds. I'm not, I know this looks a little bit weird. I don't know if you guys know this. I get so hot. Um, I, I told the folks before we started, I cut the sleeves off of my dress shirt. So when I do this, I'm not trying to like give you guys a strip tease. Uh, I'm just, I get, I get sweaty if I don't do this. So I have no sleeves on my, my uh, dress shirt. And then the inside of my blazer, uh, it, it is, uh, I re removed the liner because it's so hot. So, you know, it looks very, you know, cruddy on the inside. It's got these like strings hanging off. It looks almost like a, you know, like it's just been through the apps, you know, it's been run through the mill, but the outside, you know, looks just fine and it helps me stay cool. So I love that. I've got to tell you, my dear friends were excited. Let me, I'm going to take this, unbutton this too. Thanks for your kind words. Todd Bob says, show us those sweet shorts, James. That's right. I, and I also wear basketball shorts. You guys know that you guys have seen these. So, uh, I'm not wearing hackies or trousers. This is a, uh, you know, I have to stay, I have to stay cool. Especially my, I've got it's like 75 degrees here. Dave Hill says, is it, is it subway tattoo time? You know, you can see that's, I actually cut the back out of the shirt too. So you can see the tattoo actually. Do you see it? Okay. Cause they get hot. I'm actually thinking about just taking the shirt off. It's really hot. I can't help it. Uh, but <laughs> I don't want to do that. That's a little bit weird. But I do want to say thanks for being here. Gypsy Lil, thanks for coming by. Norak, thanks for coming by. Is that, whew, it's just thinking hot in here. That's why I had the fan on during the debate. It was blowing on me because it's just so warm. But I've got to tell you, good to see you. Keeson, happy to have you here. As well as Arminius. 
Trigger warning. Thanks for dropping in. Tom Thomas, thanks for coming by. As well as my sister's keeper. Thanks for coming by. And thanks so much for coming by the Lord's Day Ministry. Happy to have you here as well as human, human on dancer. Thanks for coming by. Shana Zion, glad to have you with us. Ragnarok Odison, happy to have you here. Ooh, it's stinking hot. I'm like, it's warm. Uh, let's see here. Ogrid, thanks for coming by. It says, do you think you will ever do more smaller issue content? I would love to see something like is killing in self-defense okay? I um, I personally am like, yeah, it's an interesting question. Like, I it's a very like it's a fun philosophy question, but it's I don't know if we could do it. It's just that we're really shooting to like uh put out the content that most of our viewers will be most engaged by, and so cover up you perverts. Is that I'm thinking, eh, I don't know, but let's see. So I got to be honest. I'm just being completely honest with you. I personally would find it interesting, but there are a lot of topics that I personally find interesting. Like, is Bitcoin going to do well? Like, is Bitcoin going to crush it? By well, let's say, is Bitcoin going to you know surpass hundred thousand by the end of 2025? I'm like, yeah, it'd be interesting. Like, I personally, it's like I always, I love predicting the future. That's why I'm always, you know, hey, who do you think is going to win, Trump versus Biden? Like. That's something I like asking the guests because I just think it's fun to try to guess the future. But it's something that I don't think I could do it as a debate topic. I don't think it would engage enough people. Let's see. Otto Sezema. Oh, yeah. Thanks for your kind words. TDS versus Teflon Don, number 4.0. Thanks for coming by. Shayna Zion. Thanks for coming by. And I got to tell you, Team Grogu. Thanks for coming by. Matthew Menich. Thanks for Menich. Am I saying it right? Let me know. Thanks for coming by. Says Get Avery. From God Logic Channel versus an atheist or a Mormon or a Muslim. I will. I'm going to ask Avery if he wants to debate Daniel Kikachu. So we're going to try to set that up. That'd be a really big one. Payboy3, thanks for coming by. Dr. Squash2023, thanks for coming by. Says, need to set up standards for the audio. I agree. Uh, I didn't realize it uh, before the debate started. But yeah, I think David must have had limited space available to do the debate. You know, I never, I can't, it's hard for me to blame speakers. You know, sometimes it's just hard to find a place to stream. Uh, I agree that we're going to probably put like a little disclaimer to debaters saying, hey, we need you to try to find a place that doesn't have an echo. But tis life for honor. Thanks for coming by. Let's see. No wreck. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate that. My sister's keeper said you should have taken that off when Jasmine was here. That's so funny. Let's see. Uh, Todd Bob. That's funny. I appreciate your kind words. But that's uh, but I want to say for real, thank you guys. Uh, Todd Bob says, been here since 5,000 subscribers. LOL, it's been a wild ride. I tell you, it has, hasn't it? We've had some crazy debates and some big things happen, right? We're just getting started. Like I said, this is like for for real folks. Join us while we're small. This is just the beginning of Modern Day Debate Story. 175. We're gonna look back at that someday. We're gonna be like, huh. Remember we were kind of a small channel, 175, and we're excited about the future. So thanks everybody for all your love and support. You guys make this fun. I'm gonna relax. I hope you get some good rest, depending on where you are in the world. Uh maybe I hope you have a productive day. I hope it goes well. But thanks again for all your support of Modern Day Debate. Oh, I forgot to mention. So 
at the bottom right of your screen, you know, I already mentioned visible wireless. But if you have been thinking about signing up for a gym, as you can see at the bottom right of your screen, today's debate is sponsored by Planet Fitness, the cheapest and most convenient gym. It really is. Here's why. I work out at Planet Fitness. I'm not joking. I really do. Like daily. I went there twice today because I just enjoy working out. I lifted in the morning and then like an hour before this debate, I did some cardio. I went for like a half hour and it's great. If you were thinking about going to a gym, we have a referral link for Planet Fitness below. Check out that referral link. Is you guys, even with the annual fee, if you count that in, it's like $14 a month. You cannot, it's difficult to overemphasize the importance of your health. Invest in your health. This $14 a month, you can have all the equipment that you need, the Stairmasters, the treadmills, the pre-cores, and all of the weightlifting stuff you need. And I can tell you as a guy that's like really into bodybuilding and I've played, you know, I've done a lot of stuff like bodybuilding and weightlifting. And I can tell you Planet Fitness has whatever you need. I'm not joking. It really does. Like everything I need to keep my physique where I'm like wanting it to be and my strength is that it's like, hey, Planet Fitness has it. You just, you have to be a little creative once in a while. But I mean, they have a ton of different machines and stuff like that. So prioritize your health. Highly encourage you. Check out the link for Planet Fitness below. That's in the description box as well. Mother, father, it's not. Let me let me put it in there right now. So, I want to say thanks so much, though. Where is this? I, I know I then like two seconds. But yeah, I hope you guys do get to see the Royal Rumble or at least a little bit of it. You know, don't deprive yourself of that. You need you need to see it. Is anybody going to do that? So you, w or not WWE? Uh, YouTube recently did this thing where they've got like. You know, hey, uh, this is like video is like for 18 and older, and it's like for sensitive topics. Like we had a recent debate on this same topic, actually, and YouTube was like, ooh, you know, it's like, you know, you got to warn people. You got to make sure that they know. A trigger warning, but YouTube, uh, yeah, what are you going to do? I can't complain. Frankly, I know a lot of YouTube, uh, a lot of YouTubers complain about YouTube, and I'm, I'm actually like, pretty happy with YouTube. I, I can't complain at all. I like YouTube. I like uh, in a way that are technically, I think I'm an independent contractor for them. But I will say that uh, they're kind of like an employer. And I like them as my employer. Like, I'm happy with them. And could it be better? Yeah, it could be better. But generally, they've actually loosened up on some things. We used to, if we ever had a debate on A-B-O-R-T-I-O-N, that topic would like almost always get us slapped uh monetization wise but now that topic's fine i'm just being extra careful by not saying it because i'm just like no not gonna risk it but i want to say thanks so much appreciate you guys keep sifting out the reasonable from the unreasonable thanks for all your support thanks for all your love thanks for everything seriously you make this fun i hope you guys have a great rest of your night Otto says have you ever been overweight or you were always that handsome thanks that's funny is mm, yeah, I was a chunky kid up until like 13, and then I got like really into the gym. And Popcorn56, James, would you date an OnlyFans girl? I don't know if uh, it would be if she would think I'm her type or vice versa. In other words, you know what? I like nice girls, and I like girls that are... Not to say that an OnlyFans girl can't be nice. Don't get me wrong. 
you could let me put it another way like more goody two shoe types let's see that's funny norek no no male stripping for me let's see dave hill says best shirt ever that's funny i appreciate that you're a funny guy dave hill and then let's see james hicks thanks for coming by so this, this is my first live one. I've caught the replays before. That's cool, man. Well, James Hicks, we're glad you're here. It's the first time live. And what says regarding the echo, a quilt hung outside of the camera view reduces reverb and echo. That's a great point. I should tell them to do that. That's, I like that. Uh, let's see. Yeah, appreciate you hanging out here. Thanks, everybody, for your support. I hope you have a great rest of your night. We'll see you at the next one. This is amazing. I hope to see you guys at the next one. Thanks. And keep sifting out the reasonable from the unreasonable. We'll see you next time. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.